Well, as I've mentioned a few times, I don't know about you, but I really liked this series. And in fact, I feel like this series has been so simple, right? But yet in it really frames the ministry of Jesus and frames the way that we are to think as Christians. And I've enjoyed it so much that on, if you didn't know, on Mondays, I typically work on the sermons. And as I was working on the sermon this week, I was just typing away downstairs in my office and my wife came down to check on me and she asked me how things were going. And I told her, it's been so good. I've been just been able to write so many of these sermons and I've written so much today. And it feels like, man, the words just really flow through this series. I'm going to hate leaving the Lord's Prayer. And my wife, not skipping a beat, she said, well, we never have to. And what a reminder that is, right? That this is, even though this series might be over, we as Christians and myself included, we are to live in a perpetual state of having the Lord's Prayer in our hearts, because this is what Jesus calls to do. He, he calls us to pray and think in these ways. So, as I said, we're going to be looking at the final portion of the Lord's Prayer, specifically in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 13. But before we um, read verse 13, I actually want us to now read the Lord's Prayer in its entirety. So if you've been with us each week, I've held off on you having read the entire prayer because I want you to just soak it up and learn at least what I believe this prayer is trying to communicate. But now I invite everybody to read it aloud with me and we're going to put the prayer on the screen today. So Jesus saying to those who were listening while his, he was giving his sermon on the mount that this is how you should pray. Now join me together, church. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we're specifically looking at that last line of text today. And if you're curious about any of the other portions that we went through, I encourage you to listen to our podcast and you can get caught up on all those portions or just be encouraged by something that you might need to hear. So we're looking at verse 13, which again says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, if you look at Matthew and you look at Luke, you'll notice that both of those portions of Scripture have the Lord's Prayer in it. Because at two different times, most likely, in Jesus' ministry, one privately with the disciples, and then two on the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Matthew version, we see Jesus give instruction to how to pray. And on both instances, the prayers are very, very similar, but at certain moments, maybe they're slightly different. Like we learned in week one, right? Matthew and Luke have a different perspective that they're trying to communicate on how we're to view God the Father. That we're supposed to look God at, at God as the king and the creator of the entire world, but that we're also supposed to see God as Abba. Or, or maybe in our modern words, as daddy, as that heavenly loving father. 
Well, unlike any differences between Matthew and Luke, both of these texts use the word, lead us not into temptation. And they almost say it entirely the same, with Matthew being slightly different in the conclusion of that. Now, if you didn't know, in 2017, this phrasing of Scripture brought a lot of buzz. And the reason why was because the Pope for that time, or the same Pope now, uh, the Pope decided to reshape the way the English version of that prayer should look like. And he changed the words from lead us not into temptation to do not lead us into temptation. And that created a lot of buzz because people thought, oh man, the Pope is changing the Lord's Prayer. He's, he's rewriting scripture. And there might be a little bit of truth to that. I think the heart of this verse I'll communicate with you guys in a minute here is we need to understand, though, that the original languages in which we look at these verses remains the same. But I want to take time now to, to explain this portion of lead us not into temptation. And the reason is, is because I think some of us, when we read this historic English version of lead us not into temptation, we see God as the tempter, right? I mean, if you read it, maybe within our mindset of today, you might wrongly think that God is doing the tempting, or God is allowing the tempting, or God is the one who tempts us. Maybe that has been your feeling for a time, right? Where you have thought, oh man, God makes my life very difficult. I can't help to fall in sin if he keeps on bringing me to situations where all these opportunities are. But that is not so much the case of what I believe Jesus is trying to communicate here. In fact, if we look through the entire breadth of scripture, we learn that God does not tempt anybody. Now, I'll say that again. God does not tempt anybody. The Greek word used here for temptation is the word periasmos. And that word roughly means to be tested. Again, it means roughly to be tested. Testing. You see, oftentimes in our Christian life, we are tested. We are put in situations where we have to come to a choice. Am I going to honor God or am I going to honor the desires of my own flesh? I mean, if you look at all of Scripture, right back into the pages of Genesis, that is the narrative that you see, right? Between Adam and Eve, am I going to honor what God has commanded me when it comes to eating from this tree? Or am I going to follow my own desires? And that continues on through every single historical figure that we see within Scripture. We see that oftentimes we're put in a situation like a test where we have to make a choice. Now part of those choices are a result of living in a broken and a fallen world. And also part of those choices are the fact that God gives us a free will to either choose him or choose against him. You see, some people wonder, well, why 
Did God create that that tree there? Why did he even put it in the garden? God was tempting Adam and Eve by even having that tree there. And I would say that's a wrong understanding of what that tree is. Because you see, we oftentimes look at the choices that we're making as inherently evil. When in fact, our situations can be a little bit different. Let me explain that. For instance, taking the tree in the garden. Was the tree evil itself? No, but what was the evil act? Disobeying God's command. We can think about this in many ways, like in marriage, for instance, right? Is the act of having sex wrong? Absolutely not. But is it doing it outside of marriage what makes it wrong? Absolutely. <laughs> And so on and so forth. Because so often times in our life, it's not necessarily the thing that we are pursuing, but maybe the motives behind that thing. Or are we breaking covenant, I guess is what I'm saying here. So when we look at lead us not into temptation, it's not that God is tempting us, but that in some ways that we want to pray that the situations we find ourselves in in life will not be situations where we are tested. Think about it like that. Lord, please keep me away from situations where I will be tested, not because I don't want to choose you, but because, Lord, I recognize my fallen nature. I recognize that so often in my life, I struggle sometimes in this area, God. And God, thank you for giving me the strength to overcome it. But Lord, I don't even want to see myself in a situation where I have to choose one way or the other. Because it's hard for me, God. It's that kind of outlook. It's that kind of prayer. Lord, I do not want to be tested. Will that mean that you will never be tested? Of course not. In fact, I would say that sometimes testing could be a good thing for you. Right? Because oftentimes... Testing in situations where we feel tested can reveal our heart. I hate to say it, but it's so often true, church, that many of us, through the length of time that we become Christians, start to discredit God's work, and we start to what? Credit our own work. So instead of seeing God's power in helping us overcome sin or overcome obstacles in life, we start to do what? We start to inflate our own sense of ego, our own sense of self, and think that somehow the success in our own life is a result of ourselves. And I think God wants us to walk in a constant state, if you will, of humility. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have our own sense of pride and accomplishment for the things that God has gifted us or called us to, 
But that does mean that we ultimately need to see where the source of our strength comes from. You see, the beautiful thing about our faith is that when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what happens to us? We get empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to overcome what we could not overcome before. You see, that is the beauty about the gospel message, is that when Jesus comes and enters into this world and takes on human flesh and becomes like us, and when he overcomes sin on the cross, he creates a bridge for us to enter into relationship again with God and for his spirit to dwell inside of us. You see, every single moment in human history up until the moment of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came into the world and started to dwell among the people, every single portion of Scripture that you see before that, you you hear of the Holy Spirit's presence being around a person but not in a person. And all of that changes when Jesus fulfills and finishes his work on the cross. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives for those that believe and gives us the power to do what? To overcome. See, that is part of the beauty of the gospel message, that God gives us a spirit that can overcome. But we need to see that source of strength doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from who? The Lord. You see, this is why it's so important, I think, within this prayer to say, lead me not into temptation, because it is almost like in that prayer itself, we're acknowledging that God is the one who sets into motion our own abilities to even resist evil. And that we're praying almost for God's sovereignty over our situation. To give us the strength to live for him and not to be given into temptation. Does that make a little bit more sense? I hope it does. You know, it's a hard thing to work against what feels natural for us. And sometimes Unfortunately, God allows us to go through, I say unfortunately, but I should say, fortunately, God allows us to go through sometimes pains in life so that we can cling to him more. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about oftentimes the, clo- the closest moments that you have with God are oftentimes coupled with what? The biggest moments of hardship in your life. God oftentimes uses these things as a way to be able to humble us. If you didn't know, if you were in the apologetics class, the Defending the Faith class, Sunday school class that we had uh, before service, I shared a portion of my testimony. I shared that I became a Christian, that my faith became my own faith. It was no longer my parents' faith, but it was Kevin's faith at the age of 15. It was a short time after that that I felt a strong call to go into ministry, to become a pastor. I remember, in fact, when I was younger, because my grandpa was a pastor, my, my mom would, would, would ask me if I wanted to be a pastor too, and I'd be like, no way. 
joke's on me, right? (laughs) But I remember I was so fortunate that I got to start working in churches under leaders that I really respected at a very, very young age. In fact, even in my early 20s, I had already worked at a church at the age of 18 onwards, and I was getting a coveted position in a church in Georgia. It was literally one of the fastest growing churches in the country, and I was going to get a front row seat at the leadership and be a part of the pastoral residency program there, and I was so excited about it. I think at the time I was only 21 years old. I was a young pup. I was the youngest one that got accepted into this program, and I was just thrilled to be at a church. I remember I almost thought that I was operating in a scheme because I was paid to be at church, and I thought to myself, little did they know I'd be here for free. (laughs) Don't do that to me now, though. (laughs) But I remember shortly into that program there, I became incredibly sick. You see, I was diagnosed at the age of 19 with the uh, intestinal autoimmune disease called ulcerative colitis. And maybe some of you have heard of that. Maybe you know somebody who has that disease. It's similar to Crohn's disease if you don't know what it is. Well, being in this program, I was given the news about my disease that my disease is related to stress. That the more stressed I am, the worse I'm going to feel. Well, just even hearing that, I became more stressed, and I can hear my tummy gargle a little bit. I mean, how do you literally try to minimize stress in life, right? Oftentimes, you hear people about minimizing stress, minimizing stress. The only thing that I could figure out to fully minimize stress is if I go live off on an island by myself with nobody around, (laughs) and even then, right, I'm worrying about survival, because life is stressful, I got so sick during this time that I had to step away from the program. I weigh about 155 pounds standing in front of you right now. At that time, I got so skinny that I only weighed 124 pounds, over 30 pounds less than what I weigh right now. I don't know if I have 30 pounds to lose, but that's what I was weighing. I was so sick. And I remember my, my then-girlfriend, Michaela, when I came back home and I was so discouraged and defeated and felt like a failure and I felt like there was so much promise in my life to be in ministry and to do God's work, I just couldn't understand why God would allow that to be a part of my life and take me away from ministry and have me living back in my parents' home again. It just, none of this made sense to me. See, I couldn't even understand my stress. I had no understanding, really, until I was confronted with a disease that said, stress will make it worse for you, at how stressed I was. And Michaela was always so kind to me. What she would do for me is is she would come up to me when she would notice that I was stressed, and I wouldn't even be thinking how stressed I was. And she would say, she would hold out her hands like this and, and form a cup. And then she said, put your stress right here. And I always thought this was so stupid at the time, but, you know, now I appreciate it. And I would go, and, and she'd say, give it to me. And, and I'd go, and I'd, you know, empty out a fake pocket, 
and put it in. She's like, no, all of it. Okay, and then I'd take my back. You're hiding a little bit more. Okay, and then, you know, by that point, I'd be laughing. And then she would hold, hold it all, you know, this invisible stress. She'd walk over to the kitchen sink. She'd go like this, turn on the faucet, and then hit the garbage disposal. <laughs> and it always worked, and I appreciated that. I don't even know if she knows the impact that it had. But what it did for me is, is it helped me realize and become aware of the stress that I had in my own life. See, in some ways, the reason why I mention this is because I don't want to just talk about stress. I want to talk about the fact that we need to be aware of the things that lead us into sin. What is that thing for you that causes you to be led into sin? Because so often we just think of sin as the big stuff, right? We just think of sin as, 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 as breaking our marriage valves or, or lying or gambling or stealing or, or drunkenness, you know? And those are sins that's not good. I'm not saying to do those things. But in reality, if we look at our lives close enough, all of us have some sort of struggle that we're trying to overcome. Maybe you're like me and you are a stressed out individual at times. And maybe your sin is, is not trusting God enough. Maybe your sin is, is that you try to control the environment around you as if you are God yourself and that you can actually control outcomes. And maybe your sin is, is that you don't trust in the Lord enough. Maybe your sin is, is that you allow your head and your ears to hear certain thoughts that make you less like Christ. And what do I mean by that? Make you less of a loving person, less of a kind person, less of a person of hope, less of a person of peace. Maybe your sin is, is that you don't love the way that Jesus loves and you allow yourself to be influenced by certain conversations or people or politics or whatever it is that prevents you from living out who God wants you to be. So you speak harshly to others. You think bad thoughts. You're judgmental. See, all those things in God's economy are not what he's about. And it should be then that we are not about those things either. So when we think about temptation, we ought not just think about Stealing, killing, gambling, all those things. But we need to realize that each and every single one of us, if we're humble enough to admit it, struggles in some sort of way with reflecting the image of God that he calls us to have to the world around us. This prayer, lead us not into temptation, is one that is meant to, in some ways, increase our own situational awareness of sin. Are you situationally aware of sin? This term, situational awareness, it originally came out of military combats. People needed to be situationally aware to not get themselves in harm. 
And we're good Mennonites, we're not going to worry about that, right? (laughs) But we need to, in some ways, be situationally aware with the enemy's attacks in our own life, right? And the things that cause us to fall away from God and fall into the stinking thinking of our lives. Amen? Are you situationally aware? Do you even see your own struggles? That's a scary thing. If you think you're better than you are, Scripture has a lot to say about that, to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. We need to be considerate of that. We need to be considerate of the ways that we are living. You know, one of my favorite heroes of the faith is David. And I know for many of you, it's probably David as well. I mean, if you read 1st, 2nd Samuel, it has it all, right? It's every story. I'm just kind of waiting for some, an actual good film production company to do that story, right? Because it's epic. It's awesome. There's love. There's romance. There's war. There's all, everything that you want, right? Well, there's also great stumblings and failures. You know, one of the verses that actually sticks out to me the most in David's downfall is a verse that we so easily read over. See, when I say David's downfall, for those of you that have maybe read through First and Second Samuel, maybe you're thinking, oh, David sinning with Bathsheba, or David killing Uriah, or David not, and then fill in the blank. But I want to bring you to a verse that really highlights what I think happens when we're not situationally aware, and when we're not thinking about our weakness and our need for God's strength. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read for you 2 Samuel 11.1. 1. This will not be on the screen, but I'll read it for you. It says this. In the spring at a time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But what does that last sentence say for anybody that brought their Bibles? But David remained in Jerusalem. So how does that first portion of that sentence, that verse begin? At a time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. So what was David doing wrong in this moment? I don't know if it's a sin per se for him to not go off to war, but in reality there was in some ways you could say an argument that he was forsaking his duties as king. That he got comfortable with his own environment and maybe he got even comfortable with all the success that God was giving him. I mean, if you look at his life up until this point, it really is amazing how blessed David was. That from the time that he was a young man, he defeats David and Goliath. And even with a kingdom or a king that was opposed to him, God gives David victory after victory after victory. And yet this young man who is the last born in his family out of a group of a lot of other boys, 
boys that looked more qualified becomes the king of a nation. And then not only that, but an amazing military conqueror. And then what happens? He gets comfortable. And maybe he starts to equate God's blessings and strength with his strength. And instead of doing what kings should have done in that moment, he does what? He lets other people fight the battles for him. Our focus determines our direction, church. Our focus determines our direction. And so often, temptation comes when we turn our focus away from God. You see, if you didn't know this, if David had gone off and done what a king should do during that time, he would have never sinned with Bathsheba. Because you see, David stuck around his, his, his kingdom in Jerusalem, and it was there in this very chapter that what happens? All the men are away from the city, the fighting men at least, and David sees Bathsheba, whose husband is off, fighting David's own battle. And because David's alone in the city and her husband's not around, what does David do? He calls her in and he violates the covenant that Bathsheba had with her own husband and becomes an adulterer and makes this woman become an adulterer with him. Temptation comes when we turn our focus away from God. When we stop looking at him because our focus determines our direction. So when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, we need to realize that we ought to stay humble, church. That it is only through God's strength that we can overcome and that we need to be situationally aware to not give up our fight to not stop running our race. I hate to say it, but sometimes I look at the state of the church in the West and I become so saddened to, un to see how the church in some ways has gotten so comfortable, has stopped fighting for certain things that bring freedom in this life. And in doing that, we're seeing what? The relevance of the church being lost. For now, there are more churches that are closing its doors than new churches being planted in America. And that should sadden all of us. Second, what does Jesus pray? In the second portion of verse 13. Deliver us from the evil one. Maybe if you liked the King James, deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one. What does that mean? I think that's a pretty easy one to realize, that we need to look again to God 
as the source of our strength, as the one who gets us through, as our great deliverer. But we also need to realize what? That there is a real enemy out there. You know, I always feel weird when I talk about the devil or Satan or the evil one. And in fact, I don't like even sometimes saying the word Satan because, you know, I think people are more comfortable if I say the enemy or the evil one. Why? Because we live in a time where, where we don't want to accept supernatural things, right? Our world is not comfortable with supernatural things. I like this quote from the opening chapters of the Screw Tape Letters written by C.S. Lewis. He says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. I think that's our world, right? The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. We know probably people like that too. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. What does that mean? Well, it means that you can underemphasize the kingdom of darkness, the devil, and by underemphasizing what's happening, you're forgetting that Jesus actually calls us to acknowledge that there is an enemy out there who is trying to fight against us. So because of that, you have a propensity to not see that there is evil that is trying to win. There's evil that's trying to win over your life or win over the church or stop the kingdom of God from doing what the kingdom of God is called to do, which is what? To set people free through the gospel. So if you underemphasize, you become what? You stop fighting for God's kingdom. But what happens if you overemphasize? Well, if you overemphasize, there's a devil under every rock. Now, I do think there's probably a devil of technology because that happens a lot around here. <laughs> but maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. There's definitely something with static over here that sometimes I think I need a rebuke. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but if you overemphasize, then what happens? Instead of bringing your attention to God, who are you focused on more? The enemy. The enemy. Because I think, unfortunately, church, a lot of us, if it's not the enemy, we focus more on what God doesn't want us to do versus what God does want us to do. You, you, you hear what I'm saying there? We oftentimes mix those things up, that there are so many beautiful things that God is calling us to be a part of. And guess what? The enemy does not want you to be a part of those things. Why? Because those things are, are, are about living for God and bringing his kingdom and helping people see the hope that is in Jesus. So what does the enemy like doing? Distracting us and throwing these little things that cause us to run these trails away from what God's kingdom is calling us to do. It happens in the church, and it happens in your life. Church, be alert. Be someone who can recognize by God's grace that, that even though sin 
is trying to have its way with us, that God gives us the power to overcome. Because here is something that we need to realize. Sin always brings pain. I'll say that again. Sin always brings pain. And in fact, that's my big idea, Chris, for today. Sin always brings pain. I have yet to meet somebody that has told me that their addiction to alcohol or their gambling habit or that life got so much better when they cheated on their spouse and got a divorce. I have not met any person yet who has been able to say those things. I've also met nobody that has said, boy, I just love not trusting in God and living with anxiety. (laughs) Sin always brings pain. And we pray the Lord's Prayer because we recognize that we need God's strength to overcome these sins in our lives and to live a life that leads us to the things of God. Because when we do that, guess what? We get to mitigate pain in our own life. I'm not saying that we won't have our own trials because we live in a fallen world church. There will be a day where God puts that to an end. But let's be the kinds of people that help bring healing, you know? Think about that. We get to help bring healing to people, not through condemning them of sin, but rather by having the cure, the medicine, the reminder of God's love and grace. I think we need to take these things so seriously that Jesus loves us enough to share these truths with us that are sometimes hard to accept, but through them we become set free. Amen? So I think it's fitting that instead of me having everybody close their eyes and pray, that we, for the final time for this series, pray the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to put that on the screen for you. I'd ask for you, let's read this once more. But as we read through this, I want you to not just read the words, but believe the words. Believe the fact that our Father in Heaven is King and Daddy. Believe the fact that you and I are about bringing God's kingdom, but also praying for God's kingdom to come. That you and I are about God's will, that we want God's will to be done in our lives. That you and I are people that need to seek out God and eat on him or, or enjoy his word and the daily bread that he offers us through his spirit, that we are to be the kinds of people that are forgiven people and live such as forgiven people, but also people that get to extend forgiveness so that we get to receive forgiveness and we get to extend forgiveness and that ultimately that we realize that sins bring pain, but that we 
are going to look to God for strength in overcoming our own sin and realize that there is a real battle for life in this world that we are called to fight, but that God gives us the strength to overcome. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.